So we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of John here in a few moments. But before we do that, I want to kind of give you a recap of the four Gospels that are found in your New Testament. Now, I know in a room like this, uh, with this many people, there are some people in here who know the Bible very well, who, so, who may be like me and even have a degree that is focused in Bible. And you may not even have a degree, but you still have taken time in your life to study it, to read it, to learn it, and to memorize it. And then all the way on the other end of the spectrum, we may have people in this room who don't know where the books of the Bible are even located. And, and before, we, before you feel bad about that, let me just tell you, hey, I am so happy you're here. If you don't know where John is in your Bible, like you are in the right place today. And there is the only reason you don't know something isn't because you're dumb or because you're stupid. It's just because hasn't anybody told you yet. So, so uh, I'm so happy you were all here. And in the very beginning of your New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John right, yeah. And they comprise what we call the four Gospels. Now, there are some similarities and some differences about each of them. For instance, the book of Matthew was written by a man named Levi. I mean, you know, he goes by Matthew sometimes. And he was a tax collector, which is a really, like, shady thing that old Matthew was involved in. Because he was a Jewish uh, citizen, a Jewish person, and he was working for the Roman government, kind of like an insider man who could know things about people in his community and then report them to the Roman government to make sure the Roman government was getting their fair share of taxes from the Jewish people. And so it's funny, you've got in, in the 12 of Jesus' followers, you've got Matthew who worked for the Romans, and then you've got, uh, you've got different people who were zealots who sought to overthrow the Romans, which just shows you right then and there that, hey, it does, I don't care who you voted for. I don't, care, I don't care what your political ideology is. Hey, under the name of Jesus, we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is more that unites us than divides us. And I know that, that right there is already, I already split the room in half because y'all ain't agreeing with that, but that's okay. I'm right and you're wrong. So whatever. Um, but Matthew, working for the Roman government, was called to follow Jesus. Now, anybody in here ever watched The Chosen? Yeah. If you will notice in The Chosen, they uh, display or they portray Matthew as someone who was very analytical, very good with numbers, who, who really had a, a certain way of seeing things. And while certainly the show takes illustrative liberties that we don't know whether or not they were true, it does do a good job of showing us that this man knew how to look at information. He knew how to decipher it and to understand the facts underneath the information. And so when Matthew writes his gospel, which we call the book of Matthew, he writes as a Jew to other Jews, showing the Jews how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And it's, it's really cool. You, and so you understand that, that while the Holy Spirit technically authored the book of Matthew. He did it through a person, and he didn't get rid of the Ma Matthew's personality in the process. And then, and then we go to the book of Mark, which is right after Matthew. Now, Mark is the very first gospel that was written, and it was written by a man named Mark. Mark right, it was. And Mark was not an original follower of Jesus, which is interesting. Only two of the gospels were written by people who actually followed Jesus. Mark However, what makes it very interesting is that we believe Mark uh, wrote what he heard the Apostle Peter teach about Jesus. And so Mark is sitting under Peter's teaching, and he's kind of writing down these stories, and which is why when you read Mark, you kind of get this like bullet point gospel. I like Mark. Mark might be my favorite gospel, mostly because I can read it really quickly, and I got things to do. Okay, And so I enjoy when I read Mark, I like that. And you get a lot of Peter's perspective in the book of Mark. You'll notice the, the time when Peter walks on water, that ain't in Mark. Because Peter was like, I ain't talking about that, guys. I'm done. I don't, I don't want to bring that up because I sank. And, but Matthew's like, hey, let me tell you what, this, what, what Peter did this one time. And then, and then we go to the book of Luke. And remember, Luke also was not an original follower of Jesus. We don't know 
exactly when Luke became a Christian. And we don't know exactly when he began writing what we refer to the Gospel of Luke. But we know Luke was a physician. He was a, he was a very intelligent person. And similar to Matthew, was probably relatively analytical. And Luke writes his Gospel to an individual. Anybody in the room for a long-distance high-five, remember the name of the individual Luke is writing his Gospel to. Right here, right here, John. High five. Theophilus. So he is literally writing this entire story in hopes that one man will read it and be changed by the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so what Luke does, Luke goes to people after the fact and he sits down with them and he says, okay, all right, tell me about this. And then he starts taking notes, which is interesting because Luke is where we get the bulk of what we call our nativity story, right? The birth of Jesus. And why is that? It's because Luke said, hey, Mary, mother of Jesus, can you tell me how this all happened? And so he writes down everything that Mary tells him. And it's this beautiful uh, story. And once again, while the Holy Spirit authored it, it does not take away from Luke's motivation. It doesn't take away from Luke's personality. And so we get, we get Luke's flavor, if you will, of the gospel. And then our fourth gospel is the gospel of... I'm right here. Eli, what do we get? John. Yeah, that was the quietest John I've ever heard in my life. I'm gonna, we're gonna, me and you are going to have fun today. And we have the Gospel of John. Now, John is very unique in that about half of the Gospel of John deals exclusively with the last week of Jesus' life. And we don't get that from the other Gospels at all. And so today, we're going to pick up with John. Now, John and Matthew are the two Gospels that are... They were actually original followers of Jesus. And I think as we read it, what I want you to be aware of is that, yes, the Holy Spirit authored this, but it did so through people, people with personality, people with motivations, people with, with, with goals. And the goal of John was to, to show the world that Jesus is the Son of God. But it doesn't rob John from his flavor and his personality, which will make sense here in a moment. So John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, which for us, this is late. It's already Sunday afternoon for you 11 o'clock people. So, hey, give yourselves a hand for showing up either way. Come on. Yeah. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, so where are we in the timeline? Jesus was crucified on Friday at 9, or he was uh, crucified at 9 a.m., put on the cross at 9 a.m. He was taken off the cross by 3 p.m. He had died, and by 6 p.m., before the Sabbath began, he was put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb in Jerusalem there. And so now we are three days later, if you follow the way the, way the Jews would observe a day beginning at nighttime, like for us, that's not how we do it, but that's how they did it. And, and so we are three days later, and we're picking up early on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. By the way, that's why we gather to worship on Sundays and not Saturday, because Saturday is actually the Sabbath. Sunday is the first day of the week. Sunday is also the day Jesus rose from the dead. So there you go. Anyway, fun facts all over the place today. Verse number two, she, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. All right, time out for a minute. Can you tell me who the other disciple is? John. It's John, right? Brad, is it John? All right. She ran, she found Simon Peter and the other disciple. Who's writing these words right now? And so when he refers to himself, he says, okay, whom Jesus loved. Okay. All right. You guys, listen, this is amazing to me. I hope you, I hope you pick this up. Okay. John's gospel is the last gospel to be written chronologically when we're going back to the first century. Mark's gospel is the first, okay, who, who was, which was dictated by Peter. It was dictated by Peter. Peter's already dead, guys. Okay, Peter is not alive anymore. He has already been, he's been crucified upside down for his belief in Christ. John is an old man. He is recounting this. And so as he's writing this, the way he remembers it, she ran, found Simon Peter and the other disciple, <clears throat> the one Jesus loved, because he knows Peter's never going to read this because he's already dead. And so he can say whatever he wants to say. 
You got to know that when John got to heaven, Peter was like, what the heck, man? I thought we were tight. And so he goes on and he, he says, the one whom Jesus loves. She said to them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. So even though Jesus time and time again would tell his followers, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest. I'm going to be murdered. And then on the third day, I will rise again. It was like they believed everything he said up until that point when they would go, ah, he's kind of crazy. I mean, we like most of what he says. But, you know, we don't really like that part. A lot of Christians struggle with that today. We like a lot of what Jesus says, but then there's things that hurt our feelings. And we're like, you know, I don't really like that part. So I'm just going to leave that part out. That's another sermon for another day. So she was convinced that they had, someone had stolen Jesus's body. She said, and we don't know where they have put him. And so John goes on recounting this. It says, Peter and the other disciple, who is, started out for the tomb. They were both running. Do you see this? They were both running, but the other disciple, who's the other disciple? Outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) This is how I know the Bible's true, guys. Because, listen, I know men. You put enough of us in the room... You give us enough time, we will have an arm wrestling competition. It doesn't matter if we have an arm wrestle for 15 years. By God, we're going to arm wrestle somebody, and we're going to win, and I'm going to come out on top. If we're, if we're all, listen, it's, it's happened before, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don beat us all. It's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> and so what's happened here, we're talking about the most important event in all of human history. Literally, our calendar is divided from from B.C. to A.D. here at the resurrection of Christ. And John is telling this story, recounting the literally the most important event ever. And he has got to include in there, by the way, I'm faster than Peter. (laughs) I know he's dead. He can't defend himself, but I'm faster than him. I said it. It's in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit allows it. Like, you got to know that, like, John's writing this, and he starts to write it, and he feels that check in his heart. And he's like, you ever done that before? You've been, you're about to say something? And you're like, you feel that check. It's like, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) That happened. It's not in the Bible, but listen, this is my sermon. I'm going to preach it however I want to. The other disciple, John, outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then verse 8, John's just like, by the way, everybody, by the way, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, Because that's what's important here, right? Not Jesus' resurrection, but the disciple that reached the tomb first. Also went in and he saw and he believed. Now, what did he believe? It it sounds, we want to say, oh, he believed that he was risen, but that's not what he believed in this moment. He believed that the body had been stolen. He believed that what Mary Magdalene had come to him and said was true, that the body of Jesus had been stolen. Now, you and I, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back in this and we know the end of the story, even in the middle of the story here. It's like watching a movie you've seen over and over again. You're watching it and, and, and you know that the good guys are going to win in the end. But even in the middle of the moment, like you still feel that little bit of anticipation, that little bit of fear, that little bit of excitement, that little bit of what if. And so as we read this, we need to remember they did not know Jesus was risen from the dead. They had no idea. They should have known, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. If somebody in your life says, hey, I'm going to die, but don't worry, three days later, I'll be alive again. You're not going to believe them. You're going to think they're crazy. You might like a lot of what they have to say, but ultimately, when it's all said and done, you're going to look at them and say, you know, Brad, he's a cool guy. He's a little weird, but he's a cool guy, right? I mean, that's true on a few occasions, but either way. I'm just kidding, buddy. So, What is interesting to me also is that throughout our four Gospels, there is very little information actually given 
to the resurrection itself. However, there is a lot of information given to Jesus' appearances after the resurrection. And so today, for a few moments, I want to look at three of those appearances. Because here's the deal. There are some of you in this room today. You were here. You were celebrating Easter. You were wearing your Easter best, right? And you were, you were excited to be in church today. But there are some things going on in your life. And it is very possible that even the person sitting next to you is not fully aware of the struggle, of the pain, of the doubt, or of the shame that you are dealing with in this moment. And I want you to know, just like Jesus did for these people that we're about to discuss, I want you to know that for you today, wherever you are, he's closer than you think. Wherever you are, he's closer than you think. Today... If you're hurting, in the middle of your pain, I want you to know he's closer than you think. This is what happens right after what we just read. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Now, why didn't she recognize him? There's only one of two possible reasons. One possible explanation is that he somehow looked different to her. Maybe it was in his glorified post-resurrection state, he just looked different. It is also highly probable that she is crying and that she's weeping and she just can't see well through the tears. She sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, Tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him, and she cried out, Rabbi. It wasn't until he called her name that she recognized that name from that voice that she knew this is the one I'm looking for. Now, it's interesting to me that the very first person Jesus appears to after his resurrection is Mary Magdalene. Because Mary, first of all, if, you, if you're not aware, women in this culture were treated with great disregard, number one. But Jesus flips culture on its head, right? Number two, Mary has a pretty rough past. Mary, the Bible tells us, is a woman who was a prostitute who Jesus had cast seven demons out of. And so she has a pretty difficult, pretty rough past, and Jesus chooses her to be the very first person, not Simon Peter, not John, you know, the one that Jesus loved, not in, but, but, but Mary, right? Mary, the one who would have, of all the followers of Jesus, would have been the one most unlikely to matter to, to, to the world around them, but she mattered to Jesus. And so here, here's, here's a nugget for you. Today, you may not feel like you matter. You may feel like you are invisible to this world around you, but Jesus looks at you and he calls you by name and he says to you, you matter to me. You're a big deal to me. But you know, if I was Jesus, and, and it's a good thing I'm not God because I would, I mean, I would, I would just kill people all the time. Like, I know, I know, you're like, I can't believe I came to this church on Easter Sunday, and he just said that. But like, have you ever gotten behind somebody driving really slow on the interstate when the speed limit is obviously 70 miles an hour, but you're going 55 in the left lane? Why do you not love people? I was, you know, doom, you're done. I'm done. I, you, listen, you don't deserve to be here anymore. If you can't drive the speed limit on the interstate, that's your problem, not mine. You know, if, if I were Jesus, and once again, we've already established, aren't we glad I'm not? Amen. Amen. I think I would show up to Pilate and be like, hey, hey, what's up, big dog? 
You tried to kill me. Wash your hands clean of this. And you got to know the story a little bit. But I think I would want to show up to Pilate and be like, look, you know, yeah, what you think about that, right? I think I would want to show up to the Pharisees, to the high priest of the Sanhedrin, and be like, hey guys, remember, remember when you tried to have me murdered? What, what you going to do now? What you think now? And, and I, would, I would have wanted to have shown everybody up. Once again, it's a good thing I'm not God, right? And, and, and let's be honest, you, you might be looking at me, you know, down your nose right now because of what I've just said, but it's a good thing you're not God either because you're not all that great either. So, so, <laughs> so stop judging me, okay? I don't like slow drivers. You don't like preachers who say dumb things. So it's your, you know. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I bet I'm going to the interstate and be like, all right, I hope he's not around. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, I'm, the, I'm, 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 the Lord's got a hold of my heart. I'm good now. But he appears to Mary. Why does he appear to Mary? The psalmist says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. So today, listen, all joking, all kidding, all craziness aside, if you're hurting today, if you're in pain today, if you're depressed today, if you have been considering taking your own life the last few weeks, the last few days, if you've been looking at your life and if you've been looking at what you've done and if you've been looking at what you have to look forward to and you have thought to yourself, you know what, I've messed up so much, I've made so many mistakes, I've done so many things wrong, nobody's there for me, nobody loves me, I don't know what the purpose of life is. You look in the mirror and you don't like who you see and you hate yourself and you're struggling with self loathing and, and you're filled with pain and you, you just wonder, you know, when is it ever going to get better? Maybe it's not ever going to get better. You know, it just doesn't seem to be going my way. And you've been thinking to yourself, you know, it'd just be easier if I, if I pulled that trigger. It would just be easier if I took those pills. It would just be easier if I ended it all. I want to tell you today, there is a God in heaven who is not mad at you and he is close to you and in the middle of your pain, he's with you and he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to show himself to you. He wants to be close to you. He's not as far away as you might think he is. So I want to encourage you this morning to look for him. Because if you will look for him, the Bible makes us a promise that when you seek him, you'll find him. That when you go after him, he'll come after you. Today, maybe, maybe you're struggling with doubt. You know, if you're struggling with doubt, you're in good company because there was a follower of Jesus whose nickname is synonymous with doubting. Anybody know his name? Yeah, poor guy. He, he made, said one thing, and then for the next 2,000 years, that's all we know about Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? How, how many of you want to be characterized by one bad thing you said for the rest of your life? Come on, let's give Thomas a break. How about, how about we call him... Uh, figured it out finally, Thomas. <laughs> right? But if you are doubting today, I want you to know that in the middle of your doubt, he's closer than you think. One of the 12 disciples, this is verse 24, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. This is a good example of wrong place, wrong time. They told him, we've seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Unless I get to put my fingers in them. And unless I get to place my hand into the wound in his side. And maybe today your struggle with doubt is not because you weren't at the right place at the right time. But maybe today your struggle with doubt is rooted in that you needed God to show up and he let you down. You prayed for somebody to be healed, somebody that you loved, somebody that you cared about, and you believed God would heal them, and you knew God would heal them because he's a good God and he's a good father, right? So if he's good and he's all-powerful, then of course he'll heal this person. Of course he'll move in their life. But then life happens and they died anyway. Even though you prayed, even though you believed, even though you trusted. And how can a good God, how can a good father who says he loves me allow such bad things to happen? 
Come on, I think we can all relate to that in some capacity. If he's so good, and if he's so loving, then why doesn't he change this situation? And that doubt, coupled with that pain, begins to breed that unbelief. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe it's just easier if you don't believe. You know, because, because if I don't get my hopes up, then I can't be disappointed, right? If, if I don't believe for the miracle, if I don't pray for the miracle, if I know, hey, this is just how life is, you know, this, it's just hard sometimes. Sometimes life just isn't fair, and that's just okay. That's just how it is. I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to move on, and we're going to say that old catchphrase we love to say, oh, it is what it is. It just is what it is. Can I, can I tell you, though, that, and listen, I, I get it. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. But in the middle of your doubt, He's closer than you think. I love what Jesus does. It says eight days later, the disciples were together again. Man, some, eight days is a long time, y'all. Can you imagine Thomas, poor Thomas, going eight more days? That's a long time. Eight days, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. He knew, I ain't going to miss out again. Like, I'm going to hang out with you guys. Stuff happens when y'all are together, so I'm, I'm going to be with you. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, peace be with you. In other words, the doors were locked. Nobody could come in the door. Poof, Jesus appears. He goes through the wall, and he, this is what he says. It says, peace be with you in the New Living Translation. But if I were to ever write my own version of the Bible, it would be like, hey, guys, calm down. Don't freak out. I'm here. Because that's what happened, right? I mean, you know, he just, he just shows up, and, and then he begins to talk, and he says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your, put your hand into this wound on my side. He says to Thomas, don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And Thomas makes this profound statement, actually attributing deity to Jesus before anybody else does. Maybe a better nickname for Thomas would be proclaiming Thomas. He says, my Lord and my God. Now, what's beautiful about this encounter that Jesus has with Thomas is that Jesus doesn't, poof, walk into the room and go, Thomas, you followed me for three years. Thomas, you are one of the disciples that I gave the fish and the bread to and told you to hand it out. And as you were handing out food to the 5,000 people, not including women and children, the more you handed out, the more you had to hand out. Thomas, you were there at Lazarus' tomb when I said, Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man walked out of the grave. You were there when we prayed for Jairus' daughter, who, that 12-year-old little girl who was dead, and, and she began to breathe, and she came back to life. You were there when we laid hands on the blind and they could see. You were there at the pool of Siloam when we prayed for the crippled man who had been crippled since birth, who picked up his mat and walked. You were there in the house when, when the four friends lowered the man down into the roof and, and I told him, son, your sins are forgiven and, and he was healed. You saw all of that and you still doubt? What's wrong with you, Thomas? You know why he didn't do that? Because that's not the kind of God he is. But that's how we think of him more times than not. We think that he's the God that's continually frustrated with my shortcomings. We think of him as the God who is continually irritated with my doubts and my fears and my failures. We, could, we think of him as the God that every time we approach him, we have to go to him and say, I know I'm not worthy. I know I've messed up. I know I'm nothing but trash. And we stoop low. And the whole time Jesus is saying, listen, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are better than you think you are because of what I've done on the cross. Listen, y'all better get with me this morning. You know what's beautiful about his goodness? You can't exaggerate it. I can't make him sound better than he is. Listen, if I go fishing, I'm going to lie to y'all. 
I will have caught more and they will be bigger than, I mean, that's just the deal. Like if, I, if you ever hear me tell a vision story on this platform, I'm lying. <laughs> I say it was eight pounds, it might've been two and a half ounces, okay? <laughs> if I tell you about a game of golf I had and I said I shot 80, I shot 180. <laughs> Don knows. Amen. Amen. I'm going to try to make myself look better than I am most of the time. I know that's surprising to some of you considering the things I say about myself. But if, if, if I can help it, I want to present myself in the best light possible. But I, I, I can't exaggerate how good he is. I can't make him better than he is. I can't make his grace greater. I can't make his love more. I, I can't exaggerate his goodness. However good you think he is, He's better. However close you think he is, he's closer. And if you're doubting today, if, if, if life has happened to you and, and, and pain has taken its toll on you and you look at your life and you look at different situations and you ask yourself, is God real? Is God there? Does God care? Listen, that is okay. I want you to understand this morning or this afternoon that Jesus is not put off by your doubt. Just like Thomas, this is what he does. He appears to Thomas and he meets him where he is. And Thomas said, I need something. I need to touch the hands. I need to see the wound in his side. And Jesus invites him in close. It's interesting. If you go and read this about Mary in the first encounter, Mary tries to embrace Jesus. And he says to Mary, don't embrace me yet, for I have not gone to my father. And then with Thomas, he says, come on in close. You need this. You need to touch this. You need to come in close so you can come in close. Because you need it, and I'm going to give you what you need. Because I'm the God who doesn't just meet your need. I'm the God who exceeds your need. Jesus isn't bothered by your doubts, so I want to encourage you today to reach out for him. If you've never doubted your faith, I don't think you've ever thought about your faith. I mean, can I just be real about it for a moment? I'm a pastor. I've been, I've been preaching for, I don't know, I can't do math. I've been preaching since I was 15. I'm 38, 7. Eight. I'm not 40 yet. Right, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that, Holly. Because <laughs> 40's old, right? I'm still in my 30s. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just making all kinds of friends this morning. Amen. But listen, if I told you, oh, I've never doubted. If I told you in the last year I haven't doubted, I'd be lying to you. If I told you that as I'm taking my time reading through the Old Testament and I read some of these stories and I go, what the heck is going on here? Why did you do that? I don't, what? I, I would be lying to you. But here's the thing. Jesus is okay with your doubt. He wants to show up in the middle of your doubt. He wants to show up in the middle of your pain. He wants to meet you. Right where you are. Because he's better than you think. Anybody in this room ever let God down before? You can't let him down, though. You weren't holding him up in the first place. You can't disappoint him. You know, when he chose you, he knew you. And he knew where you would fail, where you would falter, where you would mess up. And he said, no, nah, I still want you. Come on. Just like with Peter, right? Peter is called by Jesus. And he, Jesus says to him, because Peter had been out fishing, he says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so Peter begins to follow Jesus. And some time later, Jesus has, asks his disciples, he says, hey, tell me, who do people say that I am? And, and they Elijah, John the Baptist, come back from the dead. These weird, like, weird answers, if you ask me, but whatever. And Jesus said, I'm not really interested in what other people say. I want to know what you say. That's the greatest question we'll ever answer, right? It's like, who do you say Jesus is? And Peter the Bible tells us in Matthew 16, being full of the Holy Spirit says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Jesus looks at him and he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And upon this, upon this confession, upon this rock, I will build my church. 
So he has this like great moment. And then just a few verses later, Jesus or, or Peter is rebuking Jesus. And then Jesus is like, nah, bro, get behind me, Satan. Go read it, Matthew 16. And then, and then, and then Peter uh, gets invited to join Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration along with James and John. And then Peter is like, hey, you know, I just saw this amazing event. Let's build some, let's build some monuments to this amazing event. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't get it, bro. Like, calm down. And then, and then on the night that, that Jesus was going to be betrayed by Judas, Jesus is telling them, telling them, like, hey, guys, just so you know, it's about to go down. It won't be long. They're going to come for me. They're going to take me. And I'm going to, I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, this will, never, this will not happen. Peter says, I, I will die with you if I have to die with you, Jesus. And Jesus, with love, looks at Peter and he says, Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter's like, no, it's not going to happen. A few verses later, this is amazing. A few verses later, the, they come to arrest Jesus. And, and Peter is, Peter's, you know, he's, he remembers what he says. He remembers what Jesus says. And he's like, you know what? I'm about to show up and show out, big dog. I'm about to show him what's up. And so Peter takes out his sword and he chops the dude's ear off. You're not going to touch my Jesus. Jesus says, hey, put that sword away. He picks that ear up and he puts it back on the dude like it's a Lego or something like that. He just, just goes back on. If you don't read the Bible like this, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that I do. I'm sorry that you don't have fun like me. But guess what happened before the sun came up the next day? Somebody says, hey, I saw you with Jesus. I saw you with that Galilean over there. Peter says, no, 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 I didn't, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Somebody else comes up to him, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? The Galilean's like, no, no. And, some, and the little girl says, hey, I recognize your accent. You're from Galilee. And Peter, like, cusses her out, literally. He's like, I don't know the man. Bleep, 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 bleep. I mean, I'm not making that up. That's what it says. And so, Peter and John, they race to the tomb. They see the empty tomb. A few days later, Jesus appears to all of them. There's not a lot happening between Peter and Jesus. And you got to know, Peter's like, I messed up, guys. You ever, you ever done that? You ever just, in your life, you know in a situation, hey, I have, can I say afraid? I have screwed the pooch, Right? <laughs> right? probably shouldn't have said that. Why stop now? You ever, I mean, I'm just being real with you. Peter's like, you know, he called me, he trusted me, and I let him down. I messed up. I've gone too far. You know, it's crazy. There, there's only a millimeter of difference between Peter and Judas. Judas was just smart enough to make some money off his denial. So we have this moment. Peter is doing all Peter knows to do. Goes fishing. And he sees Jesus on the bank. Jesus is cooking breakfast for him. First of all, I'm not all about fish for breakfast, but that's, what the, that's the way they did it. Peter comes in. This is where we pick up. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Everybody hold up your finger. Hold up one. Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Number two, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? All right, number three. Peter said, you know, you know I love you. 
Peter was hurt. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You knew I was going to fail before I fell. You knew I was going to mess up before I messed up. You know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I, everybody got your, come on, let me see them. I don't think Jesus asked Peter for Peter's sake, do you love me? I think Jesus asked Peter for Peter's sake. Did I say that wrong? I did. I don't know. He, he, Jesus asked Peter for Peter's sake. Peter's sake. Peter needed to know. I messed up. I denied him not once, not twice, but three times. But, but I have confessed my love for him not once, not twice, but three times. And in this moment, Jesus restored Peter. And, and Jesus could have been like, just like he could have been to Thomas. Wow, after all we've been through together, why would you do that? But he didn't. He met him where he was. He cooked a meal for him. He hung out with him and he gave him an opportunity to redeem himself. And then Peter would go on and Peter would preach the very first sermon of the Christian church. And on that day of Pentecost, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. Peter would go on and he would share his, his story with Mark about the life of Jesus. And today, 2,000 years later, it sits in our New Testament as the gospel of Mark, as it came off the lips of Peter. And then Peter would write two letters of his very own. We call them First and Second Peter. He would go on and he would plant churches. He would, he would, he would go on and become the father of our faith outside of, of Jesus himself and, and become the, the very first pastor of the church. I want to say this to you today. Your failure does not define you. Your failure, your failure is not final. Because there is a resurrection Sunday in you. In the middle of your failure, in the middle of your shame, in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your mistake, in the middle of your worst day, your worst moment, He is closer than you think. And listen, because of that empty grave, there is no bad day that His grace cannot redeem. Because of that empty grave, there is no bad news that His goodness cannot restore. Because of that empty grave, listen, I want you to hear this. He is so much better at giving grace than you are at sinning. He is so much better in giving you His goodness than you are doing something wrong. I love this book. I, I've read it several times. But if you want to know what the whole Bible is, the whole thing, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, it is nothing more and nothing less than a story of God pursuing a relationship with humanity. In Genesis, we are introduced to Adam and Eve and essentially... God creates Adam and Eve out of an overflow of his desire to be in relationship. And he sets, them, sets up some parameters for Adam and Eve. And he says, don't eat of this tree over here. Because when you eat of it, you will surely die. Or in other words, when you eat of it, that relationship between us will be severed. And so in Genesis 3, we know they ate of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And at their, the Bible says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God. Even, though, even then, though, the Lord was still pursuing and he called out to them and he said, where are you? Where are you? Where, where are you today? Where are you? Are you living? Are you living in that moment of pain? Have you decided to just build a house there and live there? and allow your entire life to be defined by a pain that 
has continued to go unresolved? Are you, are you, have you just made your home in the place of doubt? I'm not sure, I'm not positive, I don't know. Or maybe for you, you've decided to just set up camp in your failure. I'm just not good enough. I've messed up, I've fallen short. I had a good thing going, but I messed up, I, I, I lost it. Can I tell you, wherever you are, he's closer than you think. And he's still reaching out for you. And, and your pain does not have to define you. Your, your, your doubt does not have to define you. And certainly your failure does not have to define you. That's what Easter's about, guys. That's, that's the power of the empty tomb. And so we read that in Genesis and the Lord is looking for Adam and Eve. And then we go on and we read stories of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Ruth and Rahab and Joshua and Samuel and David and Saul and and Daniel and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah and Malachi. And and then we we get to the Gospels and we we read of of Matthew and we read of Bartholomew and we read of Andrew and we read of of Peter and and even Judas. and, and, And then we read of Jesus and and all uh, all of scripture is one continual story of God saying listen those things don't have to define you your shame your pain your failure your faults your your none of that no 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 i i want to define you i want to be the one to call you son i want to be the one to call you daughter and then we get to the very last book of the bible revelation right cover to cover and Jesus his own words through John, who wrote Revelation. He was a little less cocky when he wrote Revelation. But Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door, let me in, and I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Will you stand? I want to just do this very quickly, but very specifically. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around for just a moment. If you are far from the Lord today, maybe you have never given your life to Christ, or maybe you have at some point in your past, but you have since walked away from that relationship and that decision. But today on Easter 2023, you would say, you know what? Today's the day I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of being defined by my pain. I'm tired of being defined by my doubt. I'm tired of being defined, defined by my shame. Today, I want, to be def- I want to be who God says I am. I want to be who Jesus says I am. If that's you and you want to give your life to Christ, whether it be the, for the first time or the 100th time, right where you are standing, would you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right where you are? I see you, ma'am. I see you, ma'am. I see you, buddy. I see you, sir. Lifehouse Church, let's pray this prayer together if we can as a church family. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the empty tomb. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate these six people? Now, for the rest of us, maybe today you walk in this place and there's pain just somewhere deep. Maybe there's doubt. Maybe maybe believing and trusting God is legitimately difficult for you. Maybe it's just knowing like, hey, I don't know that God can use me. I've just messed up so much. I've gotten it wrong so many times. 
And today your prayer would be, Pastor Drew, I just, I, I need a touch from heaven. I need, I need his presence in my life. I need, I need him. With every head up and every eye open and everybody looking around, if that's your prayer, if that's your heart, would you lift your hand? Father, I just thank you for these men and women who are honest enough to say, hey, I'm hurting. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I'm ashamed. Who are real enough to say, God, I need you. God, I need you to meet me where I am. God, I need you to move in my life where I am. God, I need you to come. I need you to, I need you to bring healing to this pain. I need you, Jesus, to bring assurance to these doubts. God, I need you to bring forgiveness to this shame. I need you to, I need you. Father, I ask that your presence would be felt. God, I pray that your grace would be more real than it's ever been. I pray that your mercy would run deep. And God, I pray that your love would overwhelm us. That it would be more real, that you would be more real than you've ever been to us. Just like you went to Mary, just like you went to Thomas, and just like you went to Peter, that you would come to us meeting us where we are in our place of need and we pray it in Jesus name Amen Amen Amen. Father I pray over my Lifehouse family God I pray that as we celebrate the empty grave and as we look ahead to the rest of this year, God, that you would be closer than you've ever been, that our relationship with you would become not a priority in our life, but Father, would become the priority in our life, that we would grow in our knowledge of your word, that we would grow in our experience of your presence, And God, that we would grow in our relationship with you. That we would know you just as we are known by you. Jesus, over my family this morning, God, where there is sickness, Lord, we pray for healing. Lord, where those in this room may be struggling to know how the bills are going to be paid, God, that you would be provider. Lord, where relationships are in turmoil, Lord, that you would be restorer and redeemer. And God, where hearts are downcast, that you will continue to be the one who encourages and lifts up. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. And Lifehouse said, amen.